This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99 Raw Dog. And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, this is Dan Natterman. I'm here with Periel Ashenbrand, the producer and on-air personality. Things just evolved in that direction, uh, not intentionally. We also have Noam Dorman with us, the owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar, now back seven nights a week, multiple shows every night. Get your tickets and sh- showtime information at Comedy Cellar. Is it ComedyCellar.com, Noam, or USA ComedyCellar.com? ComedyCellar.com. ComedyCellar.com. Also follow on Instagram at US, what is it again? US Comedy Cellar. Comedy Cellar USA. Comedy Cellar USA. Doc. I should have this info on the tips of my fingers. Anyway, a jam-packed show we have tonight. Eve Barlow will be joining us uh, in, in about uh, 15, 20 minutes. Um, no one, by the way, I'm doing the uh, on Sunday. I'm making my mint debut on the mint show that we do. We have live streaming comedy coming at you on mint comedy. And you can get your tickets at mintcomedy.com, M I N T comedy.com. I'll be doing the show this Sunday. It's live streamed, it's like you're really there. How's the mint comedy going? No, well, I mean, just to be clear, this is not my uh, I'm just you know, I'm just you're providing the venue. I'm just providing the venue as a act of friendship to the guy who runs it, who's a friend of mine. But um, it seems to be doing very, very well. The, the numbers, are, the streaming numbers are significant. I mean, that's interesting to me because we've always sort of assumed that comedy was a live kind of sport and that it, it wouldn't necessarily translate. Uh, oh, but this is like a live. I mean, this is a three camera shoot. HD. It looks like a TV show. It doesn't look like uh a Zoom show or something. It actually looks like a TV show. I, I watched it last night. Um, they'd have the Jeff Ross's roast battle. Mm-hmm. And it was on Mint? On Mint, yeah. Okay. And it was very close to a uh, Comedy Central looking show. I mean, maybe they'll start doing special events, you know, like specials or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Could go in that direction. Um, I mean, it's before- great. Hopefully it'll be a great source of income for the comedians and everything. Yeah, well, that would be one. We could always use some some income, you know, um, that's income is good. Income. I'm tired. I've been out in the sun all day today. My daughter, my daughter, uh, yeah, she graduated high school or no, I mean, uh, elementary school. Yeah, I mean, she, it's, it's called a moving up ceremony. Yes, that's George and Wheezy. Uh, we're uh, yeah, the moving on up ceremony. Yeah, very we're, good. We're, we're, we're there. <laughs> um, and uh, so she's yeah. moving up, meaning she's moving from the lower, the elementary uh, uh, division of the school to the to the middle school, which is the same school, though. Is that is that what it is? No, it's, no, it's a different. It's a different building altogether. OK. Yeah. And uh, it's but it happens to be the school that I went to. So she's starting school in the same school that I that I went. I to. mean, need, needless to say, the faculty that 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 was there <laughs> when you were there are, are not likely still of this world there was a guy there until recently because i was up until like two years ago my my math teacher mr tina was still teaching but no more well he must have been i mean how was he possibly still teaching well he was young when i uh, had him and he's old when he left you know he must have been like 25 when you had him and uh, like 70 i mean no, I, I see gra- back I, quite some some years. I graduated in 80. So I figured f- he was 40 years later. So 25 and 65. That's okay. Okay. Or even, you know, 30 and 70. I guess that checks. Yeah. Um, by the way, I want to take before before Eve comes on, I want there is a, uh, something of significance in uh, in the news that I thought would be a particular interest to you, Noam. And I sent you the article about 
um, the the weightlifter who qualified the the uh, the well, let me just get you the story here. It's um, New Zealand, 43 year old New Zealand weightlifter Laurel Hubbard will be competing in the upcoming summer games in Tokyo as the first trans woman athlete to compete in an Olympic games. And she, in order to qualify, she had to, they had to test her to make sure her testosterone levels were below whatever number that the International Olympic Committee requires. And she was a weightlifter as a male and transitioned in her 30s. So she'll be going to Tokyo. Well, I mean, listen, I, I don't have, like, I'm not like some fanatic. I don't, if it's fair, it's fair. You know, if, if, if it's true that a, man who transitions simply by suppressing his testosterone loses all his natural advantages that men certainly do have when it comes to strength and all that stuff, then fine. I'm, I, I happen to be skeptical. It doesn't seem like guys have low T. I mean, I don't know how low it goes, but you know, guys who have low T, do they become as they, they, they take on the upper body strength of women. I don't, I I don't know. I don't know. But you know, if it's fair, it's fair. If it's not, it's not. But, but, but what, what if, what if most, but not all of the advantages is taken out of the equation? I mean, how much advantage, I mean, suppose this trans woman has some advantage, but she's still not the best female weightlifter in the world because she didn't start out perhaps with the same, you know, with, I mean, what's acceptable, you know, and and because you're probably she's probably not it exactly. Perio, you have any anything to offer? I have a lot to offer. Go the ahead. Question is, the, the question is, is do you want what I have to offer? I want you to offer it and then I can always. I think it. that if. I think that trans athletes, particularly children, but these these aren't children. Okay, but I'm starting there. Should always be included in the gender in which they identify to play. Now, especially given the information that you've just shared, which is that their hormonal levels, if if that's what Noam's qualm is with, no, is that qualm they is have with, is qualm is with any potential natural advantage, some of which may be testosterone related some of which may not be testosterone related um so so his his problem is with any potential advantage that somebody that was born biologically male would have so here, here, here's i'm looking i'm just looking up so there's an article in wired.com wired is not a right-wing site by any chance the headline is trans athletes are posting victories and shaking up sports and it says here that although a man declines in his performance as he goes low testosterone, he doesn't lose all his, he doesn't lose his lung capacity, his, his upper body, his greater upper body strength. I mean, they, they don't, it's just, you know, I mean, it speaks for itself. Like a lot, a lot, by the way, has been made and I don't know how valid it is, but it sounds valid on its face is that the fact that this woman is 43 years old and able to compete in the Olympics in and of itself is indicative of some biological advantage. I just don't because because most of the competitors are in their twenties. So I mean, well, what's the advantage? The advantage because is the fact trans? that she still can compete at that age means with with people much younger it means she she probably has some biological advantage. At least that's what people have proposed, and I don't know if that's a valid argument or not. But it seems like it's worth. Uh, okay, all right. Trans, transgender. Up. 
Transgender women's performance generally declines as their testosterone does, but not every male advantage dissipates when testosterone drops. Some advantages, such as their bigger bone structure, greater lung capacity, larger heart size, remain. Says Allison Heather, a physiologist at the University of Otago at New Zealand, testosterone also promotes muscle memory and ability to regain muscle mass after a period of detraining by increasing the number of nuclei and muscles. And these added nuclei don't go away. So transgender women have a heightened ability to build strength even after they transition. So, I mean, you know. So you're saying that's not fair? <laughs> yes, of course it's not fair. I, I don't know. You know, it's just like, I just don't think these are issues that really well, are, I mean, are, wor are worth taking up. It's like, I, I don't know. You know, that's because you didn't, that's, you haven't spent your whole life training for an event. Yeah, and then, I, and then that's getting true. Beaten by, getting beaten by somebody who has a naturally has natural advantages that you can't possibly compete. You know what? If I made it to the Olympics and a trans athlete beat me like I feel like I, I would be willing to take that. Well, maybe you would, but that doesn't that's not an argument for fairness. I don't know. Is it, though? I mean, for all of the for all of the unfairness yeah. that trans people have had to come across. I mean, maybe this yes, is something yes, that, let's, let's, that you grant them. Let's equalize unfairness by uh, committing unfairness to, to other people. Listen, I. I I don't know. I mean, I know this is such a hot issue. I have nothing against. I mean, we in boxing, we have different weight classes, right? Why okay. do we do that? Why do we do that? They're all the Go same. Ahead. Why do we do it? Because we, we understand that competition between equally situated, not not equally situated people is, is not fair. Now, it's true. Even within a sex, some people are just born with advantages. So you could say that's right. not fair. So but, how do you want but then, then, then that? Okay, but how about then why, how about letting men compete in the um in the in the women's in the WNBA? I mean, come on now. I mean Well, no, but you could let trans women in the Look, I, the, the, main, the argument to me is is to is to spare hurt feelings. That's the main argument as far as I know. I, I think hurt and, feelings is and and I think that argument is valid potentially when it comes to children and when it comes to, you know, the, the kids soccer league or high school sports, perhaps, or when the stakes are low, then I'm all for including trans people to make them feel welcome and to make to make them feel, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to not discriminate. But when the Olympics, the stakes are high. And I think it's fair to at least pose the question whether whether this weightlifter should be competing with women. And I think if they do have an and if, if, if what Noam had read is true, that they still maintain a natural advantage despite lower testosterone. I think the case is kind of open and shut. OK, so that wait, they should not. <clears throat> Excuse me. OK, so wait a second. First of all, it's not hurt feelings. I mean, it's like hundreds of years of just like inequality. Number one. Well, look, but nobody's been alive for hundreds of years. OK, P people, people, I, I, I hate this. Historically, you know I'm going to tell you something crazy. I didn't live through the I, I wasn't in the Holocaust. Like you can't I, I'm not going to play out 3000 years of Jewish oppression as my beef in something. So you're I, saying I, no, you're saying no one should be allowed to compete in the Olympics. No. So but so what I'm saying is, is so then what is the solution? So the solution I, is, is that she can compete with the men or unfortunately seen um, unfortunately maybe she can't be in the olympics not everybody can achieve their dreams in life okay so i can't be in the Olympics. i always wanted to be a professional tennis player <laughs> didn't have the aptitude 
Okay, putting her with men is obscene, like just point blank, just outrageous. So so you have to create a category for trans athletes then. I mean, I think that's the only reasonable solution. Well, uh, this is a good one. This is from an athletic business. Transgender girl with state track championships. Uh, junior Andrea Yearwood of Cromwell High School, a transgender student athlete who's transitioning to female, recently finished second in the 55-meter dash. The winner of the event, Terry Miller of Bloomfield High, is also transgender. Miller set a girl state indoor record in the event at 6.95 seconds. Miller and Yearwood won the hundreds. I mean, it's it isn't isn't it pretty obvious given okay, let's let's just take a little, let's just do a little um, you know, off the top of our head statistics here. Trans are a very, very, very low number, right? Um, especially at in high school. When you start hearing regular stories of trans athletes winning athletic events. Given how few trans people there are, doesn't that tell us just without knowing anything else that obviously they have an, an advantage? They're quite, they're already just anecdotally, but it just, I'm sure it's true. Well, it's, it's, anecdotal, but it, it does, so it, it's anecdotal, but it does point in a direction, certainly room for further inquiry. That they're overrepresented in their victories based on their, their being trans. And you know what what happens if we go on like this for 15 years and and basically every sports record is is um held by a trans athlete how is that going to be okay with you i i would think with that would me, be pretty good evidence that it wasn't fair right if tra i mean if trans athletes are winning uh a, a 10 100 times 10 times five times more likely to win an event than a non-trans athlete um is that is, true though no i'm saying if if well, uh, we'll it, I guess we'll not we'll, be proof that it's not fair. I don't know. I mean, my, my reply to that would be, I think that the inequities that trans people face and have faced through every single other aspect of their life is more of the focus of when I think of. Well, then but, but, but you're no, saying you, go ahead, Dan, I'm sorry. Well, but but then look you, at, you, Noam, you look think, at the expression on Noam's face. Because, because when you when you say stuff like that, I literally want to throw the microphone <laughs> through well, the computer you, and fucking never do this podcast again. Because that is not. You think Peter Singer would agree with you? That you? you yes, I do. I do think Peter Singer would agree with me. No, of course he wouldn't. You don't. The idea. Okay, can somebody do something unfair to you because someone who looked like you was treated un treated them unfairly in the past? Can somebody come and and punch you in the nose because some other white woman did something to somebody to, to them? This is just the idea of making up for inequities through something that is unfair to people who had nothing to do with committing that inequity is collective punishment. It doesn't make it doesn't hold up. OK, so that's a fair that's a fair point. So then the question is, is a trans athlete has a right to be treated fairly. Okay, fine. Athlete has a right to be treated. Okay, fine. I can accept that. And you don't have to get violent and, you know, start trying to punch people through screens. Okay, so what well, he, this he agrees with me. He, can, he, he does if he wants people to uh, be interested in this podcast. <laughs> so what's the solution then? Not every solution, not every problem has a solution, you know. Well, I think that you're generally quite well, one, one possible solution would be one obvious solution would be trans events. Well, like I said, what's the solution to me not being able to live out my <laughs> dreams of professional tennis? There's no solution. Unfortunately, I had to go into comedy and that didn't, <laughs> that didn't work out either. But but, uh, you know, sometimes you cannot pursue that which you 
wish to pursue in life is very unfair. Terribly you know, this unfair. reminds me of this reminds me of my like Roe versus Wade in law school. Like you can put a gun to my head. I don't care. I'm not anti-abortion. You could I'm not anti-trans. I don't I don't care about the Olympics. None of this really matters to me. But you can put a gun to my head and I'm not going to say, yes, it, it, I understand the logic because Ro, I don't I never understood the logic of Roe versus Wade. And I never understood the logic of saying that, yes, as long as somebody uh, is transitioning, we're going to look we're not we're going to pretend that that they don't have all these advantages, which normally is the reason that we segregate sports between men and women. I mean, I don't care I, look, I, when I say I don't care. I really don't care. You sounds like you care. No, I, I, I just can't utter something illogical. That's all I'm saying. Like you're just like literally you're just saying because you you're, you're so sympathetic to these people. I'm sympathetic. I am, sympathetic. Well, I am I'm, sympathetic. Yeah, and so am I. But that, that's sympathetic. That's like I'm sympathetic to a woman who 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 is pregnant and doesn't want to carry the baby. And I've and I've um uh, had girlfriends who had abortions, but. There's no right to an abortion in the Constitution. Like, like, I just can't, you know, you can say it all you want. OK, first of all, <laughs> let's not start conflating things. OK, number one, we can have the Roe versus Wade debate. And when... All analogies are not conflations. I'm making. I'm. Yeah. OK, wh whatever. Wh I'm saying that there needs to be a solution. OK, like that. That's what that's where my allegiance is, is like you have to be able to include trans athletes in a way that is fair and balanced and who? maybe fair to, to everyone. Well, is, is it fair? You know, it's not even fair if I have a natural if if I'm playing against chess against my four year old. That's not even fair to me. Like, it's, it's just not fair. Why isn't that fair to well, you? Well, one wonders as an athlete, you know, just from, from the perspective of the trans athlete, would they feel, if they knew they had an advantage, why? why, why no, look at look, Lance Armstrong. He, people want to win. Yeah. I, I guess so. But, but um, you know, I mean, I'm sure Lance didn't feel great about it. I think Lance probably justified it by saying everybody else is doping too, I would imagine yeah. would. You know, but but one would think that an athlete wouldn't want to win under those circumstances. Not a real victory. Um, what was he doing? Wasn't he just like cleaning out his blood? I, I, I don't I don't think so. No. Um, but in any case, you know, this is and this argument is all based on 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 natural on on whether or not what Noam had just read earlier from Wired magazine is true, whether the natural advantage is there despite low testosterone levels. If it is. Again, the case seems pretty open and shut that well, she should I, not be allowed to compete. You know, I will say this. I spent this is going to sound funny. I spent a lot of time with prepubescent pre children and um, I'm editing that out. <laughs> no, because 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 I have I have young kids and they have friends are all over. And it's clear. I mean, it's just clear that the boys have an advantage. That's not to say from time to time, my some some girl who's an outlier or whatever. But in general, the boys kick the butt of the girls in a prepubescent setting boys have a natural advantage i think you could have just used the word young agreed uh without but, getting into i think I young might have been just said young i spent time with children because i have children no, because we're talking about testosterone as being the key factor it has to be prepubescent because that's when testosterone kicks in i'm saying even before i'm, I'm saying like post if you take puberty blockers or testosterone blockers as an adult it doesn't even bring you back to where you were when you never had testosterone. You still have residual advantages. But I'm saying even 
even prior to that as kids when testosterone has never even been in the game. The boys clearly have advantages. I, I don't I don't know. I really don't know. I also don't think you can take testosterone blockers when you're an adult. I think those are only things you can take. Is, is Eve here, by the way? No, she's not. Oh, yes, wow. they take them. They take them as adults. You might want to. Uh... Well, I just I literally just spoke to her and she said she would be here. Okay, at okay, 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 okay. Um, but look, they're, they're, well, we're going to we're going to this is obviously the direction it goes and we'll see, you know, and if, and if it turns out that it's fair. Then, then great. I'm, then I'm very happy. You and know. God bless. Of course. So, I mean, but what, what they do, the, we'll talk about the word conflation. The real conflation is that if you dare to say, wait a second, I, I just want to understand this, that all of a sudden now you're anti trans. In other words, if, so if who you said that, nobody said that. People say it all the time. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't say that. Um, Noam, do we want to briefly touch on the, uh, the the mayoral race here in New York City? Did you vote? By the way, no, you you don't live in New York City, or maybe you do have a residence in New York. I don't know if you're eligible to vote here. No, I'm not eligible to vote. I mean, this they have this. Um, That's convenient. This multiple choice. Uh, what is it? Rank voting? Yeah, I I didn't vote. It's only the primary. Although I guess the primary is pretty crucial because uh, whoever wins the Democratic primary is pretty much a shoe in. Yeah, yeah. In New York, and it seems complex and i don't like it at all i don't like it what this ranked choice voting in, in new york city why don't you like it i saw it today well what they do is they if, if nobody wins if somebody wins more than 50 percent, they win but if nobody wins 50 percent, they then take out the lowest candidate and then they add his second choice votes to the thing and then they continue this way until somebody's over 50 percent. so it seems to me that the most like the most flaky voters voting for outlier candidates that are, you know, really nobody's taking seriously. You assume probably ideologically extreme or something that their second vote gets counted. Um, like they have an advantage there. It, I mean, you, what I guess what I'm saying is, and that doesn't seem right to me. Wouldn't it be much better just to have a runoff? between the top two candidates. That way, everybody gets to focus in a new election on those two candidates, learn about them, because it's, it's quite possible that if you really supported Eric Adams, you really never learned very much about the other candidates at all. And then you might have, and your second, the second choice, second place vote that you choose may be quite random, kind of just a feeling you really right. haven't educated. It's just, it's, it's not an informed vote and your third place vote is definitely not an informed vote you know so it, it it presupposes that you've studied each candidate equally and i i just nobody can really spit out whether it's a more democratic less democratic it just seems to me we much make much more sense you have the top two candidates and if nobody gets over 50 percent, then you have a runoff and right. in that runoff it would very the choice is made very clear and they can debate and you have a yeah, and then everybody feels like, and the winning, the person with the most votes won. There's something weird about the person with the most votes won, but it wasn't the person who had the most votes on election day. It was the person who had the most votes after four rounds of weird, arcane, yeah. uh, giving up votes. But, you know. Well, who are you, who are you rooting for? Our, our um, friend, uh, Andrew Yang, who was on our podcast a few weeks back, you might recall, had conceded defeat. I think Eric, what's his name? Eric Adams. Eric Adams is, I mean, I don't know if, know him, if you have any preference. I don't really know much about it. And that's 
First of all, I'm not even sure I'm registered Democrat or not. I don't think so. So I guess I couldn't have voted. But you're independent, you're not a Republican. I, I know. I don't know. I don't think I'm registered any. I guess I'm independent. I don't know. Um, I was registered Democrat. Now I'm registered independent. But but you're right. I'm, I don't live in the city. So I think that uh, I don't know anything about any of them. I mean, the bigger lesson is. Isn't it shocking that in New York City. This is the best slate of candidates we can come up with a bunch of like mediocre seemingly mediocre or or ethically flawed or you know like it just doesn't it just doesn't seem right you think you'd have really really super substantial people with impressive resumes running to be mayor of new york city it doesn't seem like that's the case i wonder if it's because of all the um vulnerabilities now of the internet and cancel culture as it were like who wants to Let's run for office. Look at look at look at the people we get to run for president. I mean, you know, why would it be? Why would we get a a more uh, impressive group of people looking to be mayor of New York? Except Joe Biden has an impressive resume. You say what you want about Joe Biden. He's been in the Senate for for forever. He was vice president. He was on the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. I mean, he has he has a life uh, that would lead him to be qualified for president. Um. Well, where do mayors usually come from? They come from city council or borough president. I mean, we have one guy, Eric. Uh, what was his name again? I forgot. Eric Adams. Adam. Yeah, he was borough president. And that seems like for city government, a pretty big, pretty big stepping stone. I guess, Brooklyn, yeah. he was Brooklyn borough president. Andrew Yang. I well, he ran for president. Yeah. So, if, if, you know, well, if you just listen to these guys, it just doesn't seem like. No. How come well, nobody li- votes yeah, you- also? Nobody votes for mayor. I mean, it's obscene. All anybody does is complain about the city and then nobody votes. Right. Well, if crime is the number one issue and if violent crime is truly spiking and that spike is going to um, linger on after um, COVID, then I would say that having a in a very like just a very uh, real politic way of having a having a black cop as mayor would be a good thing because he'll have a latitude to do. I must say, I've been feeling much more uneasy uh, the past couple of months, just kind of walking around the city at nighttime. I'm not sure if that's just if there's real danger afoot that I'm sensing or if if it's just I've internalized what I've read about crime statistics. But I do feel more uneasy. There there is a big spike in crime. But the um, and I think that uh, that guest uh, Sharky said is that the, the, the victims are overwhelmingly black and minorities. And um, which is which is the tragedy of it all. But uh, I think that a, a a a black ex-cop will have the latitude to fight crime without having to worry about you know uh, if somebody does something or something goes wrong, being being called racist, which is obviously always on the minds of white mayors. So so that's you know that might be a good thing, you know. He, he has a lot of he had a lot of support in the black community, even though he supports stop and frisk. Which is amazing, right? I mean, I mean, when I say amazing, I mean, startling that a, that a black guy supports stop and frisk. Uh, Dan is very distracted. Well, because I'm just wondering uh, if Eve is coming. Well, Eve is just messaged me back and said, I'm so sorry. I just finished a lunch meeting that was super important and ran overtime. Okay. Is there any way we can do this one hour later? (laughs) Would you like me to read you what I replied? Uh, Go ahead. I I hope you didn't make fun of her name. I was like, you're such an asshole. No, no, you didn't write that. 
<laughs> I said, I mean, is this really interesting? I said, I think it's interesting. Okay, yes. I'm don't don't question well, it. You can do it an hour later. I can edit it together. I yeah. said, I'm, I said, um, you know, we're on air right now recording. Please let me, can you join us? Or please let me know if you, you know, need to reschedule to which she said, I didn't realize it was live. I should have realized. I'm incredibly sorry about this. I'm currently outside and only have my phone. Do you need me to join on the phone? I can do that if it works for you. You want me to just tell her it's fine. No problem. We can do it in an hour and we'll edit it. We're not on the air. We're 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 live. We're just in the middle of doing it. I didn't say we were live. I never told her we were live. I just said we're recording. No, I, I don't know what you guys are doing in an hour. You said on know. the air. On the air means. No, live. I didn't. I said we're recording. Whatever. Okay. What do you want me to do? I want to know what you said because now you're reading, you're changing the words as you're reading them. I said we're on air right now recording. Okay. On air. Is it? <laughs> well, we are. I mean, we're recording right now. It's not, I mean, I wasn't trying to be disingenuous or like misleading. No, it's a misinterpretation. On air generally means I mean, that they're re- they're way there's electromagnetic uh, waves being generated and, 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 and received. I mean, are we are we recording or are we not recording? Yes, we're not on the air as that term is generally used. OK, fine. What, what would you like me to do? I wasn't well, trying- know, I, I can do it in an hour. Okay. But in an hour or an hour later, because an hour later, ask her what ask her what time she'd be available. Okay. I'm just gonna say no problem. No, don't say no problem. Just say what time would you be available? Well, she just said, "Do I want her to do?" She's outside and only has her phone. Yeah, but that that might that might not be the best. Right. So that's not ideal. So I. So when can she get in front of a computer and do it? This is the time. Let's. we We can't say it enough that Periel's husband is a saint. Okay, I don't need the two of you for the two of me. I didn't say how to write an email back to say that I'm not dictating anything. And and moreover, I don't believe your husband's a saint. I think you're probably quite quite agreeable to live with. Thank you. Uh, I am actually he's I'm a fucking saint, actually. By the way, just getting back whilst you're composing your email. Whilst uh, I'm. Whilst I just was a thought had occurred to me and I, I was uh, Googling it to see if there was any information online. It occurred to me that being a trans woman in women's gymnastics might be a disadvantage because aren't those those particular um, pieces of equipment that they use uh, geared to women? Well, that's They're- a very, very, very smart point, then, because you that that allows you to make the point in the opposite way, because if if the trans women are not able to do the uneven parallel bars, which is, you know, an event that men generally are not good at. I've heard that too. That would also be evidence that it's not, it's not actually the same, right? Yeah. So I, I, I was Googling that trying to find out whether that's the case or not. And I couldn't find any information uh, when I get home and have more time, perhaps I'll do a little more of a deep dive, but uh, yeah, the, the, I, I wonder about that. And also the, the, the women gymnasts are all very small. They're very tiny and they're very young. And, and just to be clear, like I have um, three trans people that I'm friendly with and speak to. And um, uh, I, I think two out of all three of them see this as a close call. And I think two out of three of them are actually don't think that the trans athletes should compete. So this is not, you know, this is not open and shut. Uh, you know, I think fair minded people are just like, we don't we're not 100 percent sure. And, and we wanted to we want to do the right thing, uh, you know. 
Okay, the fact that you can find three trans people who agree with you does not support well, it's, your it's, point it's, any more than I could find three trans people who would agree with me. I'm just, no, I'm just saying, like, I was not, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, I've, I've actually reached out to discuss this with people who are trans and yeah, we've they, had them on the show. Yeah, but they seem to feel that they still have physical advantages. That's my point. They still feel like, no, no, I'm not, you know, they, 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 they're transition, but they don't believe that physically they don't have lingering um, advantages from when they were men. They, they still, they still feel that they have advantages. So I understand it's not proof, but it's something. I mean, and no, uh, Periel, did, uh, did did Eve get back to you? She certainly did get back to me. And she said? She said that she can do it in 40 minutes. All right, so should we, should we pause? In I guess we should pause, take the pause that refreshes, and, 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 and we'll... Although I do think that, that all that discussion might be of some interest. Yeah, well, uh, well I'll, I'll edit it together. Okay, uh, so we'll, we'll be back here um, in 40 minutes. Is the studio available in 40 minutes? I'm asking our studio. He said yes. But through the magic of television, it will appear seamless. It will be instant. And I um, will clarify to Eve that we were not actually on the air. No, we're certainly not. <laughs> Self-conscious about her um, mis misuse of the term. Should I? The question is, should I eat now or, or wait? That's the key. I, I will say this. Well, just while we, so um, the, the principal... Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it. Well, well I guess you should because you've already. The, there was a speech. Uh, <laughs> if I were to say to you, uh, better not. I just think I, I mean, I could be wrong. So, so at my daughter's graduation, there was a speech. God. And somebody gave a speech and they advised, they advised these uh, fourth graders to be, quote, Outwardly kind and considerate when you in your life out, be outwardly kind and considerate. And um, it occurred to me hearing that that uh, the word outwardly means on the surface, right? Outwardly doesn't mean <laughs> be kind and considerate to people. It means be outwardly kind and considerate, even if even if you don't mean it inside. Right. And right. I and I thought that's that was. It was either bad advice, it was the wrong advice, or even worse, I I, I shudder to think that the they didn't you know use the word properly, um, which is you know that's I think I think it's the second one. Yeah, I, I, so did I, I want to be a snob? I don't want to be a snob, but you feel like you are a snob. You always tell me I'm a snob, but you're a snob too. Well, what what are educators supposed to be experts in? I don't disagree with you. I'm the first one to admit that I'm a snob. No, but it's not a snob. Like if, if I go to the doctor and they don't know where the pancreas is, I'm like, well, that's not being a snob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying if, if you're educating children. No, you're right. I totally. Well, wait, who, 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 who said that? The principal. Yeah, it was the principal or maybe it was the, the custodian. No, it was, you know, I, I don't think they meant what you're saying. So I did I misuse the word conflate? Is that is that what did I did I use the word conflate incorrectly? Well, I no, I think you meant conflate, but I wasn't conflating. I was OK, I was fine. Fair enough. okay. conflating is to, I, I believe it's yeah. to combine them as if they're the same. Correct. Yeah. Conflating uh, is an annoying kind of word that I didn't hear very often. 
even t- 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago that people just use constantly. Is it true? Uh, right up there. And ga- <laughs> gaslighting is the worst of the new words because people don't even use. I mean, they, they, they just use it for anything, anything they don't like. To, if you say anything they disagree with, you're dead. You're gaslighting. A lot of those words, uh, 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 phrases, too. Let's unpack. Trigger this. warning. If, if I hear unpack warning. this one more, um, unpack this. <laughs> one more Another one is a bespoke. You see, I got a custom major. I got a bespoke. I said, this is worse. I don't hear that one, but yeah, yeah. Um, lived experience. <laughs> one's lived experience is sort of another one. By the way, no, I'm um, unrelated about conflate. I mean, I, n- I never heard conflate ever. Do we hear that all the time? Conflate? All, I don't all, really. all the time. Yes. Okay. Especially we're hanging out with Periel. I feel uh, like Noam tells me I'm conflating things all the time. No, yeah. Noam uses it too, I guess. I, I, I joined the crowd, but I, yeah, I just, you're absolutely right. I just, that's a new word. There's a lot of words like that. Trendy. No, no, what, um, this is unrelated, but um, I think of interest. What, uh, what, what's going on before the pandemic? You were auditioning, if that's the right word, chefs to come and make the comedy cellar, the Olive Tree Cafe, to bring it to the next level. Uh, the culinary experience and it seems like you've abandoned that uh that uh that goal is that true or can we expect um uh you know new auditions coming up for well chefs? i know i just had a meeting with a very very uh awesome um <laughs> bespoke chef you <laughs> know a very very awesome uh, israeli woman who who is a, a very very uh, uh respected restaurateur and she um, offered, well, you know, for money, but she offered to help us um, with our kitchen problems. And I think it might work out. It's going to be a big investment, but I think it will be worth it. She's a, I've eaten, coincidentally, I'd eaten at her, some of her restaurants and they're fantastic. You could probably get Guy to do that for you for less money. Or for free. I can flake Guy with a... With a... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, when you, but by kitchen problems, you mean lack of uh of talent in the kitchen or there's other problems no no like when i say i'm not no i didn't mean it that there's problems with the people in the kitchen the kitchen problem meaning like trying to get a a uh a menu that i'm that I, of the type that i would like in the olive tree to really make it catch fire it's your right to go israeli because you're just not going to be happy unless it's an Israeli Mediterranean Middle Eastern menu at that level. No, I wish it weren't an Israeli menu. I've been trying to not have Israeli food there forever. Yeah, but, but it's like every time I think I'm out, they, they pull me back in. I don't know. <laughs> Is, Israeli food has become in and of itself a politically incorrect term, at least yeah, in some you circles. You know what's interesting? During that week that... Um, there was all these anti-Semitic incidents going on during the Gaza stuff like that. Yeah. Three people who had been to the olive tree tons of time said to me, did you always have that star of David in the window? It was very interesting that three different people for the first time noticed that star of David, that stained glass star of David that's been there since 1970 or something um, because they're, they're attuned to it now. So you're, you're right. Well, no, I'm saying it's 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 politically incorrect because there are those who say that there's no such thing as Israeli food. It is just um, it is just stolen Palestinian food. It, it is. It is mostly uh, I want to say it's stolen, but it's mostly just uh, food from the Middle East. 
obviously there's always been Jews in that part of the world and they've always eaten this food. But um, yeah, like hummus is, I wouldn't say it was, it's obviously Arabic. Okay, let's back up here for one second because Israeli food is in Israel is different if it's Iranian Israeli food or Moroccan Israeli food or Yemeni Israeli food. So I, I don't know that you can say that it's stolen food. Ariel is more particular about these shades of food than she is about X, Y and XX chromosomes. I don't know. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. She's like uh, Iranian blah, 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 blah. men and women. Nah. <laughs> oh, it's true. Okay. Hi, Eve Barlow. Okay. Yay! So hi there. Okay, so I am so sorry. I've been running all over LA. You can get away with anything with that accent. We, uh, (laughs) we, uh, we are back, uh, with uh, we as promised, and we're gonna, uh, hopefully it'll be, it'll sound seamless in the edit. But let me, uh, Eve, we're we're, we're famous for our introductions on this podcast. So let (laughs) me give you the introduction that you deserve. Eve Barlow is a pop culture journalist based in Los Angeles. She grew up in the United Kingdom and has contributed to The Guardian, New York Magazine. The L.A. Times, Playboy, and many, many more in recent years, in recent years, rather. Eve has become a more active voice on Jewish identity and fighting anti-Semitism via Twitter and Instagram at Eve Barlow. And she was voted Alga Miner's top 100 people positively influencing Jewish life. So is welcome. That, isn't that an anti-Semitic website then? No, Alga Miner is not. It sounds no. like it should. It sounds like Der Sturmer, but it's actually not. <laughs> I'm confusing um, for the other one, I guess. Welcome then, Eve Barlow. Uh, it says the UK, but I believe you're Scottish. Yes, well, Scotland is part of the United Kingdom. Scotland is, is but that one is. of the four nations and has yet think, to become an independent entity. So I think it's worth I think it's worth specifying Scotland rather than just giving you a blanket. I mean, we could also say she's from Europe, but but I think <laughs> specificity is always better. She is Scottish. I'm Scottish. And, 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 uh, more specifically, I'm Glaswegian. If you want to really, really well, get into the meat of not Scotland. Not only we need to go that far, but in any case, <laughs> um, I, I, I follow you on Twitter, but you, I cannot comment on your tweets because you've restricted them, I guess, to people that follow you, that you follow. Well, I have to follow you back. Well, only if you're going to be nice. I certainly will be, but I'll be I'll be nice, but I will keep you on your toes. Okay. <laughs> That's but okay. I, I don't mind that in a nice way. He's very nice. I tend to Love. be nice, but you seem I, very nice. Yes, I do give off that vibe. <laughs> You're quite correct. Your intuition is spot on as as, <laughs> as I expected it would be. Noam, do you I know you're um, you've been uh, chomping at the bit to talk with Eve. Well, she had that whole big controversy during um, she had the nerve to to defend uh, Israel a little bit and to, c- to complain about Hamas. And she got um, taken down across the whole world and made fun of and, and all that. Um, I, I read your, um, what was, it, was it the social media pogrom? Is, is that, was that the article in um, Tablet? That was the one. I'm a big <laughs> fan, by the way, of, of Alana Newhouse. Uh, I know her a little bit. Um, she, she does an amazing job at, at, at Tablet and I'm, in a very difficult um, marketplace for journalism now, she manages to, she seems to be doing well. So, but anyway, so tell what you want to uh, tell the listeners what you went through and what it was all about. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I want to premise that by saying that the story does not exist 
to paint me as some kind of victim or anything like that. I really, what I do in an online space is really about bringing the Jewish community together, educating the Jewish community and empowering us to be proud of who we are because non-Jewish society seems to uh, benefit from making us the laughing stock, which is effectively what happened to me when I got louder about uh, trying to inject some nuance into the narrative that existed around the conflict in May between Israel and Hamas. So while I was being a loud advocate for the Jewish people online, I was experiencing what I then documented in the social media pogrom article and identified as a pogrom of the social media age. Now, just to be you know, really diligent about this, what I was trying to say was not that what was happening to Jews was the equivalent of historical pogroms that have existed for thousands of years in which Jews have their homes burned to the ground and their communities are driven out of, um, of tangible real life places and they are killed and maimed. I wasn't trying to say that what was happening to Jews online was in any way equivalent to that. What I was doing was using language to try and create some kind of acknowledgement about what it felt like to be Jewish and advocating in online spaces during this time because what was happening to us was that we were being expelled from online spaces. We were being libeled as racists and apologists for uh, genocide and ethnic cleansing and pretty much being, um, being pelted with accusations day in, day out that we were liars. Essentially the oldest conspiracy theory that has existed in mankind, which is the Jewish people are to blame, the Jews are liars, and they they weave their web of lies so that they can be all powerful and all consuming. And so this was happening. I called it the social media pogrom because this is the first time in the digital age in which the conflict in the Middle East has flared, and the first time in the digital age in which anti-Semitism has really become so overtly apparent again in society and so what we're experiencing in digital spaces is brand new it really it really is brand new and it needs to be defined and it needs to be spoken about and the piece came out in the piece I talked about how this new strange phenomenon had started to exist whereby every time I spoke online it would I would receive sometimes hundreds sometimes thousands of people just responding to my tweets with a hate name that was completely juvenile and remains completely juvenile, although I have now muted the phrase on Twitter so that I don't go completely insane. So my hate name is Eve Fartlow, which is wildly original. And um, <laughs> I, I have and, an eight-year-old. I have an eight-year-old son, and, and I, he loves jokes like that. So uh, you know, okay, I'm, exactly. getting crack, I'm getting. Is anybody else having a, a sound issue? No, I'm not. I'm getting some crackling. So, 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 and, and, but, but let me just, just to, to interject this, but what was horrible or, or interesting about this is that you were also getting it from Jewish people, right? Oh, and yeah. Seth Rogen. And so, what, what's so once the, the piece ran, once yeah. the piece ran, what happened was that um, this part of my online experience that I documented was then proven correct. Because the day the piece came out, 
that you fart loads got louder and louder and louder until there were almost 40,000 you fart load tweets happening on the internet. And I was the number two trend in all of America. And that was the day of the San Jose shooting. And I was trending above a shooting. So, and, and Seth Rogen also responded to my share of the tablet piece with a fart emoji, um, which contributed to the level of trolling, as you can imagine, that I then received because he has, you know, 8 million followers on Twitter or what have you, and is Seth Rogen. Right. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't... Well, I'm, I'm very curious, and I'm just going to ask you the questions that come to my mind. I don't know if they're the questions you've been asked before, but this is really what's on my mind. First of all, you're from Scotland. You're from a part of the world where my impression is that um, it hasn't been too easy to be a pro-Israel Jew for quite a long time. It's American Jews have, have had a much easier time of it. Europe has been for a long time um, uh, not comfortable with Israel. So is that true? What was it what is it like there and how did you come to be so uh, defiantly proud of uh, being Jewish in Israel? Yeah, I don't actually know if I agree that America has necessarily been an easier place to be pro-Israel, but it has been um, superficially a, a seemingly easier place to assimilate as, as Jewish people because you see, you know, signposting of Judaism all over, especially in a city like LA where I live, you know, there are menorahs in the storefronts of the CVS during November, December season, you know, which is absolutely, my jaw hit the floor when I saw that, when I moved here, I felt like I'd made Aliyah to Jerusalem. Seriously, (laughs) it was not, it is not like that in Scotland. Um, I grew up in an environment where you know, I was very much encouraged to wear my Star of David under my shirt. Um, you know, don't explain explain your dietary requirements away as I'm a vegetarian. You know, not don't go into the whole kosher thing. Don't you know? Don't talk about being a Jew. Just keep quiet. Keep your head down. You're proud. You're proud in your home. When you go out in the world, just you know, just get on, just get on with your life and don't make any noise about it. Now, what, what, do you, what do you attribute that to? Why is it is it something to do with the um, the the facile comparison to the Irish conflict in that part of the world where they people just assume the Palestinians are the Irish? And that because mm-hmm. when I meet Irish people, I know a bunch of Irish people. You can just I, I just presume that's the way they see it. And sometimes I can disabuse them. But that's just the automatic analogy they see. I don't think it's about any intellectual analogies like that, though that might factor into it a little bit in terms of the bias that exists. But really what it has to do with is that we are such a minority in the UK and there is a lot of post-trauma from the Holocaust. And I think that the, you know, the boomer generation were very much imbued with this idea in their kind of intergenerational post-Holocaust trauma the the best way to maneuver through the societies that have now allowed us to exist among them is to just keep your head down and don't get too loud. And, you know, in the hope that anti-Semitism has kind of 
gone away or dwindled momentarily, which we know is not true. Anti-Semitism never goes away. And what we've de- what we've seen in the past two months is that the second that someone is given permission to be an anti-Semite, they really just take that baton and run with it. You know, has, and has, it's not. Yeah. Has Mark Knopfler spoken out at all? I'm not aware that Mark Knopfler has spoken out. Um, but I am not the biggest. Probably Star the Street second. Fan, so I, well, because he's the second most famous Scottish Jew next to Eve Barlow. He's Jewish. Yeah. He he is I, half. But people, we'll, we'll take what we can get because in Scotland there's not many. There really are not many. He's there aren't he, many. He's I, but I, Mark Knopfler and I are not related, which is mind-boggling. Really, <laughs> consider it. So and, and you're you're also a uh, a world renowned music critic, correct? I am. Yes. I, yeah. I have some questions about music too. You know, you gotta have to forgive me. Like I'm I'm almost sixty years old, and you know I'm a musician actually. But my knowledge of popular music is is you know it it stopped like twenty five years ago. But that's all. Yeah, but but <laughs> but I will say this, this is the thing. Also, it, time also does seem to have stopped in pop music because. I noticed, and we're going to jump, we'll come back to the Jewish thing in a second, but just we talk about this. I noticed when I audition musicians or I meet young musicians in their 20s, guitar players, what do they mm. play? They are still playing the Rolling Stones, the, the Beatles, whatever it is. Like that is still the, what's, what's that phrase? Lingua Franca? Is that, is that the, uh, like for the, for the wow. common language? That is still the common language of, of uh, pop musicians. It's not something from the 2000, 2010s. So it's almost as if um, time has stopped still in rock music. You have you you agree with that? No. No. Well, okay, so, t- so tell me what you think. Wait, do, 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 I, do, I don't agree with that. I, I think that there are I think that there are classic staples. Yeah. Especially, I've actually noticed from interviewing bands in America while I've been freelance here for the past seven years that American younger American musicians are far more inclined to drop the name check, the list of, you know, 60s slash 70s classic inspirations, Hendrix, Doors, Beatles, Stones, Floyd, you know, Neil uh, Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, all of the all of the classics, because I think that there is something about just the American culture and the and a lot of the navel gazing of growing up here and really just being imbibed with all of the the pop culture that has that has really kind of defined what it is to identify oneself as American and you know pop culture here is is very um sticky and it and it it's infectious and America when you get even when you're in an Uber and you're listening to the radio station here or and the classic hits are on and you're on a freeway or whatever it's America kind of plays itself all the time and it really enjoys doing that. So there is always going to be, I think, especially among American artists, a tendency to name check those classic records as influences. But really, I think as the generations now are experiencing, it's not, a lot of the influences are far more digital and um, hip hop and rap music has really become more if not more important at least equal to the in, the inspirations for modern pop 
pop stars, producers, songwriters, the the rhythmic tendencies of those artists and and those genres what, have um, become a lot more important to songwriting. I would now. agree with what you just said, but what what songs? Okay, so it's still it's 2020, and you know people are still listening to the it's Beatles. 2021. 2021. That is correct. We're in the 20. Yeah, you're right. I don't know what year it is. Um, people are still listening to, you know, the the Stones and the Beatles and uh, and 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 a lot of those things and um, U2 and you know classic rock. What what songs do you think in 30 or 40 years from 2021 or from the 20 teens people will still be listening to and will perceive as classic pieces of music in 30 say 30 years or 40 years or so. Uh, that's a really good question. And I think that some of the artists that will endure are maybe some people who are less popular to talk about right now. Um, someone that I think will be spoken about in 50 years time is Kanye West. I think people will speak about Lady Gaga in 50 years time because she really is an egot baiting artist. I mean, she, she is she is reminiscent of a mold of superstar that I don't think the industry encourages to exist anymore just because it's much more interested in virality and things that happen instantaneously and an artist with that kind of um, expression and study doesn't doesn't really exist in the framework of overnight success if you if you catch my drift um, I think those are two people who we'll talk about in 50 years time. I know there's a lot of attention on artists such as like Lord or Billie Eilish right now, but for me, I'm not, I'm not sure that I've, I've seen that. Um, I've, I've felt the kind of soul in the music that to me will speak beyond one generation. And that's really what you're considering when you're asking what, who are the artists that we're going to talk about in 50 years time, the messaging and the, the, the honesty in the sound and in the, and in the lyrics and the performance needs to be something that speaks to the human condition in a real way. And I think something that's happening right now that I'm interested and curious about, but I don't know whether uh, people agree with me is the idea of how fear is festering in the actual creation of art with regards all of these conversations that we have online, all of the identity politics, all of the um, need to kind of virtue signal and align with particular causes and ideas and what that's actually doing to art because I am a big believer that if you can't say something in art, then where can you say it? And well, but music I is, is different. I mean, music is 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 different in many ways because music, you know, you you can music generally doesn't is not generally controversial in that way in the way that a stand up comic or a, or a novelist or a movie could be. Um, I mean, I guess has arguably, been. I disagree. You know, yeah. I think. I mean, like I mean, Bob I grew Dylan, up in the. Yeah, there, there are songs that tackle social issues, but generally, uh, generally, I mean, with, with, you know, is Lady Gaga tackling social issues when she's yeah, talking but, about a paparazzi or man, there, was, there was a hole in the 2000s? Well, she's done. A, she's done a lot of controversial things with her performance art. I mean, she wore 
sure, dress made of meat, for Christ's sake, to an awards show, you know, and that was no. a that was an incredible moment. So let me just, Dan, let me just remind you that, um, you know, the, 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 the stones were had, had to change their lyrics on the Ed Sullivan show. Tipper Gore had the, wanted to label CDs for, um, lyrics. Uh, many people blamed their kids drug use on the influence of, of music. Um, then, um, Ice-T uh, had, the, you know, th th there was a whole fuck the police thing in hip hop, which was people blamed on, would blame the violence uh, on, on hip hop music. So there's, there's been, I think, a series of controversies, I think, uh, based on music. No, I'm probably okay, I, guess there, I guess there have been. I would qualify them as more of an exception. I mean, you know, your average song is talking about, you know, some love or or sometimes the lyrics, you know, don't even necessarily make logical sense. I mean, but, you know, but, but very but few are tackling are, are tackling social issues. You know, but I, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about political music or social issue related music. I just mean that the current culture that we live in. I wonder whether or not it is fostering an environment for artists to just write honestly about what they feel and what they're experiencing. I'm well, wondering it, that because I'm having conversations with artists in which they say, my biggest fear is that I'm going to be canceled. So I'm watering my ideas down. For sure. You're right. For sure. And, and, and let's, um, this is not limited to music, right? This is, this is a problem that's infecting every single area of life. From the most exactly. most mundane clerk at the bank who doesn't want to r r say the wrong thing to big stars who are buckling and issuing apologies for for nothing and um and now you're no you're no um you're no kind of conservative right you're not a conservative political person are you no not yeah. at all I mean at the moment I consider myself to be kind of politically homeless because. Since the Eve Farlow thing's really taken off, I've really learned that I am an enemy of the dirtbag left mm. and progressives are scared of me. Um, but I have always been a, a liberal leaning, center left wing, you know, center left sort of. What, what so that's, sorry, that's really interesting to me because I so relate to that. I mean, I feel like, it, it was astonishing to see what happened to you online when, I mean, suddenly, like, you became <clears throat> this person that was saying things that seemed to me who also considers herself to be quite far left-leaning, for lack of a better phrase, that, that seemed totally reasonable. Um mm. I mean, so it was, it was really shocking. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I always come back to this. I, and I premised what I was saying originally with this, the, the statement that I'm not a victim because it's not really about me. It's about I, what I have come to represent because a lot of the people who are throwing vitriol at me online are people who know me. You know, they're people who know who I am who know what I stand for, who know my heart, who know like the things that I'm passionate about and have cared about for my entire career and adult existence. And they know that I'm not any of these things that people are libeling me as. And yet they're unfollowing me. They've decided they can't speak to me again. They have created so much 
so for the, for the listeners, long distance from for me. the listeners to get a feel what what kind of things what kind of outrageous things did you tweet that that caused such a a, a visceral reaction in people do you, have, do you remember offhand or like what's the worst yeah, for sure i mean and, and the thing is is that they're not outrageous i'm no, just i was asking, i was being i, was I being, know you're being facetious i know but i'm just asking reasonable questions yeah. i'm i'm saying things such as you know that you can't fight one form of hatred with another form of hatred you can't vandalize um you can't vandalize jewish places of worship when you're protesting anti-black racism because it doesn't make any sense why would you attack another minority group in order to make a point about systemic racism it, it it's not it's harmful it's hurtful to cause that kind of division so me plainly stating please don't vandalize a synagogue in a BLM protest became the most in, incendiary thing someone could say on the internet, which is absurd, A, eh? and extremely worrying. Yeah, it's deeply disturbing. It's deeply disturbing. And I mean, I, I, I'm very proud to meet you because for a long time, I mean, for a long time now, my beef has been not with the, the non-Jewish world. And I know we don't want to make this podcast too Jewy, but I'm just going to say it because I have you here. But, you know, I, it, it's been with the Jewish world that has become less and less um, willing to defend itself and to make the case for itself. And I've always felt that, well, you know, at, at the point where the average Jew throws in the towel and defending Israel or defending the Jewish people, like, why would the non-Jewish world think that we even had a case? Like, no one's going to care about the treatment of the way black, the way police treat black people. If black people were like, no, no, it's fine. We got no problem here. (laughs) Like, it has to come from the black people first. They have to make the case and then we can get behind them. And And if the Jewish people won't make the case, like for Israel or for themselves, of course, you can't really blame the non-Jewish world. And I and I going back to what I said before, you, you come from a part of the world where that is not easy for you to do, mm. even though it's Europe. You're not like you're coming from Syria, but even in, in Europe. So I, I, you know, I really admire you. And um, I'm Thank sorry you. to go through this, but I really do. We need we need people like you from the left or the center left who are not um, evangelical or, or, you know, fundamentalist religious people. To lay out the case, you know, totally. I mean, you're yeah, I mean, you're really my hero. I I know it's it's incredible to see. And it was really sort of shocking. I mean, Noam has been telling me this for years, but I don't really take it that seriously when it's coming from him. But it was really shocking to see how this whole thing blew up. And my husband's Israeli and he was actually the one who was like, you have to check her out. It's. I mean, again, like it was like you're saying things that are completely reasonable, like you can't compare Israel to Hamas. Right. right. Like, is that an insane thing to say? Like, why is it insane for us to point out that Hamas is an internationally recognized terrorist organization? I don't know. Why is it? They are why? a death cult. If I tweet Hamas is a death cult, I get thousands of quote tweets from leftists who are. Who, call, who say that that's a racist thing to say. It's not, it's literally not a racist thing to say. It's crazy because- it's Just a I statement think, of truth. 
I feel like, you know, being considering myself left wing, having, you know, been left wing my entire far life, left wing, far left wing. No, I don't know. I mean, but yeah, it's like right. it's like hijacked. Like you don't get to take that from me. Right. Like I don't need to be a conservative to say that that's not what's going on. Like just because it shouldn't be political. It's not right. political. This is a humanitarian right. issue. And what I have said until I'm blue in the face for the past four, three or four years of doing this work, because I started doing this work because I'm a British Jew and I had to, well, I didn't have to, nobody had a gun to my head, but I felt I needed to be vocal about what was happening with Jeremy Corbyn in, on the left. For those who are unaware, Jeremy Corbyn became leader of the Labour Party, which is Her Majesty's opposition in the UK so the, the 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 number two party to the party in power the conservative party who are traditionally right of centre um, and I needed I, I began to fight that in the UK and I've been saying for four years anti-semitism is not a political matter Jewish lives are not a political football that sh- that get that get used by the left or the right as is convenient, what you find is that leftists are only comfortable calling out neo-Nazism and right, and people on the right are only comfortable calling out the squad for their anti-Semitism. So, you know, I'm just out here naming it all. And it's very clear to me who is, who is the loudest about feeling very uncomfortable about that fact the idea of calling it all out, you know, and a lot of it is coming from, as you've pointed out, Noam, Jews who who don't want to be pushed out of left-wing spaces. And my question is, but at what cost? Why are you so uncomfortable with me calling it all out? Why do you want to ignore the fact that it also exists in our progressive spaces right right do you, do you um are you in the united states to stay or is this just a, a brief sojourn for you this is my seventh year in the u.s i have a green card now and it has been my intention to make a good go of it here but i've been asking questions about that recently i, I don't is know it, it, what brought you i'll here marry you if you need to stay I was, no. gonna, I was gonna say the same no, thing. No, Noam's already <laughs> Noam's already married. All right, all right. I, there's, a, there's a workaround for that. Go ahead, go ahead. But um, what brought you here originally? I always think of it like, why would anyone live in England? It's just it. It just seems to me all drizzly and uh, <laughs> and there's no beaches to speak. I mean, I guess there's there beaches, beaches, but there are beaches. But come on, you know, Blackpool or whatever. What, what's the beach of? Uh, there are the plenty. UK. You yeah, but like, but can you really compare that to Southern California? <laughs> Listen, I grew I grew up in the UK, so you know I I spent I I, I did my I did my time there. Um, when I was running a, a massive music magazine in London, and I'd been there for two and a half years, and I was covering a lot of artists all over the world, and one of the bands that I. Uh, wrote a lot about at the beginning of their career happens to be from Studio City in LA and we had become very friendly with each other and at one point they they offered 
you know, why don't you come out and live with us for a while and quit your job and come to LA where I'd been traveling to for so, so many times anyway, to spend time with them and with other bands. And to be honest, at the age of 27, I think I was, um, with no ties to London, particularly other than a job, it was a no-brainer. Why wouldn't I come to LA and move in with a band and have some fun at that stage of my life? So, you know, that's that's why I came here. And then I'm a workaholic. So the second I got here, I started hustling and and I became a, a freelance, write, an in-demand freelance writer because in the mid-2010s, the money was evaporating from the music industry and especially from music press side of things. There was no money to fly journalists around the world anymore so I kind of became everyone's point person in America and at that time when I moved to LA in 2014 it was really the start of what we were seeing as a migration from New York to LA when I moved to LA the scene here was still a little bit you know a little bit ratchet it wasn't it wasn't what it has become in the past six or seven years that it was beginning to develop um, some a new wave of really exciting diverse talent but it, a lot of a lot of that was still concentrated in New York at that point and I just I came to the right place at the right time you know what I mean uh, I have another question were you because I'm I'm fascinated we're jumping back and forth but it's fine I'm fascinated by uh, peer pressure I think that you know, we're living in an age and this is what the, the Internet has brought peer pressure into everybody's life 24 seven. And it's a very, very powerful thing. And mm. um, uh, I mean, wokeness is almost the victory of peer pressure over logic, reason, you know, debate, anything. Were you always someone who peer pressure kind of rolled off your back? Were you always someone who didn't feel threatened by peer pressure? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And I think that that's something that's informed most of my decisions for better or worse. Um, and I also, and you know, it's interesting that you framed that question in a way about peer pressure because most people, I, actually nobody has done that yet. And a lot of people ask me how my career as a music critic perhaps helped me as a Jewish advocate and it's a similar question because if you're going to be a music critic and you're going to at, at the time that I did it you're also going to do it as a woman and as a young woman in a in an industry that's actually kind of monopolized by middle-aged white guys who listen to a lot of like cream or the clash or whatever I think not that there's anything wrong with cream or the clash but you know what I'm trying to say um, it was it, it was a time in which I couldn't be anything other but uncaring and thick-skinned when it came to people criticizing or even you know criti even crit not criticizing even what I was saying but criticizing the fact that I was daring to try to be a music journalist you know what do you, what do you um, Sorry. yeah no we, we just had uh, just two weeks ago here at the comedy cellar uh, we had Mr. Uh, Donald Fagan in the audience here watching the show from Steely Dan. I don't know if you have any yes. thoughts on Steely. Yeah, and he seemed very, uh, very, um, you know, he they they have an album called "Can't Buy a Thrill." I couldn't buy a laugh from this guy. 
<laughs> Dan, you derailed her peer pressure thing. Well, no, I, I oh, thought she Steely Dan aside. But, but I'm wondering what she feels about Steely Dan. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that I don't care about Steely Dan. So that's oh. why it was, it was audacious that I'm out here as someone who couldn't name you two Steely Dan records trying to be a music critic. So my point about peer pressure is that it, I had I I couldn't even have got my foot over the door if I gave a shit about what people were going to say about what I was trying to do, and I think it set me up for really not caring. I mean, I'm I'll be honest. When Eve Fartlow became the number two trend in America during that afternoon, there was about a fifteen to twenty minute window in which. I did. I was a human being and had a a bit of a total meltdown in my apartment. I just I couldn't. I, it was my phone was going off in every direction. People were talking at me about how I should feel in this moment and what was going to happen to me. And I think the most insane thing that someone said to me was that this is probably most definitely going to be part of an SNL skit this Saturday so get ready for that and I was like wait what no I don't need like please no you can't be serious that cannot be something that's happened you know so that was a that, that kind of 15 to 20 minute window of meltdown happened but after that it was over and all I see that situation as and I quickly rebounded is just well obviously what I said worked it was effective it had the purpose you know when you're a journalist and you operate in these spaces you're not you're not being a journalist and being a critic and putting your thoughts out into the world because you want people to react well to them all the time I mean I don't I don't speak out because I want people to hate me but I don't um deny them their reaction I'm trying to have a conversation and sometimes when you talk to people they they agree with you and sometimes they vehemently attack you and you should be prepared for either reaction. So it's never been peer pressure is yeah, it's I've had to I've I've had to accept that I'm not going to bow to peer pressure from a very from the beginning in order to be able to do any of this at all, frankly. It, it it's very, very hard and, and you see. Jewish people, and, and we should be clear for people who haven't heard the show, I'm, I'm sure that Eve will agree, but if she doesn't, she can say so. We all acknowledge that um, many Palestinians leave, live tragic lives, um, uh, victims of not only of um, Hamas and Palestinian Authority torture and everything, but, but mistreatment by the Israeli government and, and all of it is true. Nevertheless, um, there's just there's just a lot more to that story. And there's tremendous pressure on Jewish people if they want to remain in good standing in center to center left circles to concede and give an inch. And yeah, and, and just um, just get on the side of saying, yeah, I know, God, God damn Israel. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by them. And yeah, I agree. And or they'll they'll retreat into like. Well, it's, it's really Netanyahu that people don't like. It's not really the fact of a Jewish state, whatever it is. And it's, there's no, and you've proven it, there's not much home left for you anymore if you don't give in to that peer pressure. 
And as opposed to the neo-Nazi or was that the, the Nazis that you referred to on the right who live in their parents' basement, the people on the left, these are the cool kids. These are the, these are the stars and these are the people who um, have authority and they're professors and they're media giants. And it's very difficult to go against them. So but that's why I think what Eve's doing is so important. And with people like Alana, um, who I personally know very, very well, um, is so important because and myself, too, which frankly, I'll consider myself a fucking cool kid. Like you can't take that from us. Like you don't get to claim that. You know, like yeah, yeah, we were very we were very late uh, on this bandwagon. So like this started for me when Spielberg, well, you, when Spielberg came out with the movie Munich. Did you guys all see the movie Munich? You I saw movie. You yeah. love the movie? I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised you love the movie. So anyway, so well, no, I loved it when I saw it, but maybe maybe if I watched it again, I would hate it. Is that what you're going to tell me? I'd be curious if you would watch it and, and let me know. So when I saw that movie, so Spielberg was very associated with uh, remembering the Holocaust and he did that mm -hmm. documentary about it. And, and then he comes out with this movie Munich, which to me, the way I remember it was essentially saying that there was a conflation, Periel, to use your uh. word, between the, uh, the, the terrorists who killed the athletes in Munich, the Israeli athletes who slaughtered the athletes, and then the Israeli Mossad, who then set out to punish the terrorists. Right. And and then and then the final scene of this movie, he pans out and you see the World Trade Center, which was his way of saying it's oh. like and both sides. And this is why we had 9-11, you know, and I just saw oh, that. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember so, that. If I I'm just remember Eric Bana having a pretty rough Israeli accent. I don't remember, I remember <laughs> that movie. And it was written but, by this guy Kushner, who was known to be uh, have issues with Israel and the Jews. But and it was, mm -hmm. to me, it was like Spielberg's way of saying, yeah, listen, I I'm all about the the Holocaust. But don't think that I'm like too pro Israel. I'm totally balanced, as it were, on the issue of Israel. Right. And, and I was like, well, this is just his way of staying in the good graces of that. Hollywood community. And this is 20 years ago already. And it's just, of course, and now of with course. intersectionality and this whole re-embrace of the importance of color, really, in, in politics on both sides, but I guess on, on the left a lot, it's just now it's even beyond anti-Semitism, I wonder just like, well, Israel has to be the bad guy because in any conflict between the white people, even though the Israelis are not majority white, but in any conflict between the Europeans and the, the non-European world, the non-European world has to be the victim and they have to be right. So we don't even need to hate the Jews anymore, you know? Right. Totally. Very, very upset. But, but understanding everyone's identity through the prism of race is, is creating a very, um, well, frankly, it's creating a world in which Jews are erased because we don't fit into a racial binary. We are... We are a people who are bound by our genealogical connection to the Levant. Yeah. We come in various races. We are not defined by the color of our skin. Um, we're not defined purely by religion. We are defined by our ethnicity and our religiosity. And we can be neither religious religiously Jewish nor ethnically Jewish but if we're one or the other we're still fully Jewish so it's very difficult for non-Jewish um world 
theories and uh, about about race to actually understand or acknowledge the root of our identity because it's not covered by these theories that exist post Judaism. That's right. Um, and we were never considered white by any nobody who ever cared about whiteness, the, the racists in the world ever considered. Well, the actually, no, I just I should forward you to an article I just read just today in The Wall Street Journal. It's an old article, but I, I read it about about at least in America. Uh, Jews are have always been white by any definition uh, in terms of number one, you know, uh, the white drinking fountain. Jews drank at the white drinking fountain. Jews went to the white schools. Jews, the miscegenation laws that said blacks and whites couldn't marry did not exclude Jews from marrying white people. Uh, Jews were even slave owners. In fact, the Confederate Secretary of State was Jewish. There's really not, not, nothing you can point to in the law that excluded Jews from whiteness. Well, fa fair enough. Fair enough. What I was referring to is that the 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 archetype, arch, the typical um, white racist, KKK member, white supremacist. I mean, everything we hear about today is white supremacy, right? White supremacists, the Jews were always enemy number one. Even above black people, we were the enemy. And now we... The victims of white supremacy have have somehow read us. I'm sure much of it is from not being informed. Have read us into that enemy that was, you know, the white supremacists, and they consider us white and part of that white supremacist structure, which is a bit rich uh, for people, uh, certainly my father's generation, because they were hated by the people who were white supremacists. So, but you're right, we were never, um, we were never. Uh, uh, victims of Jim Crow. We could use whatever water fountain we wanted, but we certainly couldn't marry their daughters. But it's a lie that Jew that Jewish people are white supremacists. Yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a, it's a blatant lie. And it is being spread like wildfire right now because of the popularity of critical race theory. And because people are solely defined in the binary of of whatever skin color they're born into. And it does not acknowledge our identity as Jewish people at all. Um, and also how diverse we are, especially in places like Israel and how absolutely. people have been banished from every other country in the Middle East for being Jewish. Yeah. I mean, my, my husband's mother and father both escaped their birth countries because they were Jewish with like literally the clothes on their back. Absolutely. And that's the story of so many people who live in Israel who were Jewish. And so many people who live in LA as well. Sure. You know, I was sure. I was, sure. I was at a house um, a couple of weeks ago in Beverly Hills owned by a pair of extremely successful Persian Jews whose parents fled Iran, whose yeah. parents fled Iran. Yeah. And they came to LA and they did really well for themselves because they had to survive. And now they're the bad people because, because they live in a nice house in Beverly Hills. Right. And yet their parents came here with nothing but the clothes on their back. Listen, I have an extremely close friend. Um, it's one of my best friend's husbands who is, was one of the last Jews who escaped Lebanon. 
in he was inside a suitcase. They brought him out yeah. of Lebanon. Right, we, so, we have to wrap it up, but let's wrap it up this way. Give us the top five albums of the last 10 of the last 10 years that every person who loves music ought to go out and buy. Are albums even still a thing? I mean, people used to buy albums. Now they just buy or they well, they have a Spotify subscription or they buy song by song. They still make albums. I know they still make them, but are they like a thing that anybody cares about? The top five albums of the last 10 years. Or, or answer a different question. Whatever question you want to answer. What, what are your top five? What, what are the five albums you listen to most in the last year or something like that? Just, you know, give us some. Um, oh, or, so, or songs even. No. Again, who, who listens to albums? I'm, um, I'm sure she does. You listen to a I song. Do listen, I do listen to albums. I listen to many albums. I love records. Yeah. Um, I loved, in the past year, albums that came out last year, my top album of the year was Women in Music Part 3 by Haim. I thought it was an incredible, uh, I thought it was their best complete work yet, and I was really impressed by it. Better than Steely um, Dan? <laughs> I don't listen to Steely Dan, I'm sorry. Now, but but I um, think you might like it if you heard it, though. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure about that. It's very jazzy. Um, very jazzy. Okay. Very jazzy and smoky and I feel like I, I feel like I've been told enough times in my life to listen to Steely Dan, and I have yet to do it. And you don't have to listen for to a reason, but I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> is that you want me to name some more? No, well, you don't have to. But women, mu- women in music part three. I'm looking it up on Wikipedia. Listen, I still. I like- would recommend that. I think you should listen to that. I'm going to listen. I still like to listen to albums. It's- listening to songs is a different thing altogether. It's fun to listen to songs. But listening to albums is a is a mood and a and a you're getting into a a universe of a of a of a statement. It's longer and it's it's different. Dan, but but do the artists still put emphasis on albums the way they used to? Of course, knowing they do. knowing that knowing that songs are sold. Not the art, but songs not are sold a la carte more than they used. They used to buy an album. You had no choice. I mean, you could buy a, a single, but nobody did that. Generally, you bought the whole album. It's not the artists that don't want to make albums. It's the industry that don't want to support artists who want to make albums because the industry doesn't know how to monetize albums anymore because of streaming services and the platforms in which people consume music are not um, do not reward albums, basically, unless it's an album by someone who is a Drake or a Rihanna or whatever and, and or a Billy and anything that they put out is the more the more content the better. But for your but for your you know your struggling independent band who are desperate to make an album, getting the kind of advance from a record label to support that vision is much more difficult in this day and age. Yeah. Well, don't you think we should be asking her like what we should do as Jews so that we don't wind up like back in the ovens? Like, isn't uh, that an important question to ask? Well, what music should we listen to? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, Va- Wagner, you know, is not. Is not, is not I, I don't know. I know. I, I, the, the answer was prov- the answer was provided to you by Thomas Jefferson, James Madison and uh, George Washington. It's called the Second Amendment. Learn how to you, huh? Are you you're Look, becoming? If if you really think that that's a danger, and I, I don't think that that's a danger, but if you think that that's a danger, 
then that would seem to me to be a, a really as, good, as good a solution as any. We'll get a gun. That's as, that's as, if, you, if you think that we're going to be rounded up, then I can't think of any other solution. I, I don't, well, I don't I, think that we're would not going to get rounded up. Take it easy. Nobody's rounded. You know, they, they didn't think we were going to get rounded up the first time either. Yes, that's true. Let's just happen. be clear. The Holocaust was not the first time this has happened. It's not an anomaly. In history. I mean, it's really scary. Yeah, it's very terrifying what's happening right now. As Jews, what we need to do is if you, acknowledge if you, it, not be afraid to speak about it, empower ourselves, organize as a community and educate ourselves. And if we don't know what what we need, the, the words that we require in order to advocate for ourselves, lean on people who do and amplify those voices and, you know, really, really learn about our identity because I think so much of what's wrong right now is that there are a lot of Jews, particularly in this country, who really don't understand Jewish identity, really don't understand anti-Semitism, really don't understand the history but, but, of, of Israel, why it exists, why we have a nation, you know, why we have a nation state. Eve, um, I've, 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 I've talked to countless young Jews and, and you ask them, well, do you even know how it is that the West Bank came to be occupied? Like, why do why they have no idea? They know they know Israel's wrong. They have no idea. of, And it's it's important. The history matters. The, most, the, it, the history matters. The context matters. Yes, yes. I would. All just, of I it would matters. But I think we uh, we were we were talking about best albums of the <laughs> 2020s. Can, can I just say something before but this, just rounding up thing? Because I I. I actually get uncomfortable when Jews say what Periel said, because I don't think resorting to the outlier incident in history. I know Jews have been rounded up in the past, not but in, outlier. In, in, in modern history, it is. Um, uh, I don't think that really convinces people. I, I, and it doesn't even convince me. I think what's what really worries me, because that would mean the fall of the United States of America. And I guess if the United States of America falls, then anything is is possible. But I what I think is much. But do you not think that it's possible that the West might be? I mean, the like the fall of Rome happened. Yeah, it's it's possible. Donald Trump was but, president. But if that but happens, I, let, me, let me just finish my thought. But I'll tell you what I think is much much more possible which is the full-on Africanerization of Jewish people to the point where Jews are reluctant to even tell people that they're Jewish, where, where it becomes ordinary for Jewish kids not to take a semester abroad in Tel Aviv because the university frowns upon just just a general shame of our own. That's already happening. Yeah, yeah. that's already but happening. I, I think it's happening. Anti-Zionism is one of the most popular yeah. movements around young Jewish people. They are actively denouncing that they're Zionists. Yeah. They're also don't understand what the word this means. This cancer yeah. can grow and grow and grow. That that I think is that's what really wor worries me. Getting rounding, getting rounded up. Of course, it could happen, but let's. I, I'm more worried about what I think is likely and worries me. I want my kids who are now all below ten when they're in their twenties to be perfectly proud and comfortable to tell people, yeah, I'm Jewish and I'm going to go to Israel. And I, you know, I, and I, but and I'm, listen, that's not the, that's not the trajectory we're on right now. Listen, you say that, but I grew up with grandparents who had their entire family slaughtered in the Holocaust. So it's not that far fetched. I mean, that narrative well, let me ask you this. very black, real. Is it, it far fetched to think that black people will become slaves again? 
Black people are still slaves in parts of the world. Right, but I'm talking about in America. I mean, I you know what? Nothing it's far-fetched. Could it happen? Yes, anything can happen. But I'm saying is that past behavior informs future behavior. Okay, well, I, and, I, and the things that are happening in our society freely and openly right now without any criticism are dangerous, dangerous examples of past precedent. But when it goes unchecked, we have we know what happens. My father so I actually don't think it's an extreme view to believe that what happened to Jews in 1930s Europe couldn't happen again and it couldn't happen here. But, well, if, but, if, but if you really never again, if you really believe that, if you really believe that, then why was uh, my comment about guns dismissed? Because, because it I'll tell you why, me- because because the citizens carrying guns will be no match for the power of the state. Should the state want but to have it, it doesn't have to be a match for it. It just has to make it uncomfortable or just allow you at least time to escape. Uh, so my, my father used to describe Jewish life in the 40s and 50s, you know, people. Uh, getting nose jobs, changing their names, trying to pass as non-Jewish. I, this is what I, I think. This that is a much more likely um, future. Yeah, we we have to we have to we have to wrap it up. That's a that's a much more like that's the future that I worry about. All right, uh, Eve, uh, when are you ever in New York, Eve? I'm actually coming to New York on Friday night, but only no for way. a night. Yeah, I'm there to speak at the Consulate General of Israel's. On Friday, you can't. Wow. You can't go see uh, uh, some comedy on Friday night. I don't know what time I'm going to be finished. <laughs> we go late. Well, you're I, coming for a, You're coming for a night. The details. Then, you're coming uh, for a night. Going right back, back in the morning. Yeah. Why yeah, so short? Sure? I have an event in LA on Saturday night. So. Well, no pressure. We can get you next time, but it would be it would be an honor to have you down at the club. And, Absolutely, uh, I would love to come meet you in person, but I know you might you might be exhausted with that kind of traveling. Um, all right, well, um, I'm trying to make some my own fart lows smell okay to me, Joe. I don't like, like but you 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 were very very uh, um, a pleasure a real pleasure to have you on the show. And thank um, you guys. You're 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 a you're a credit to our people. Honestly, I know people who are not Jewish listening to this podcast. Like, oh my god, what have I gotten into here? But I can't help it. I want to say it. So uh, we're very proud of you. Thank you so much, Noam. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Uh, Bye. Wait, wait, wait. Where can we find you online? At Eve Barlow. I'm at Eve Barlow on Instagram and I'm at Eve underscore Barlow. If you dare to follow me on Twitter. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, If if you follow me back, you will, you'll, you can look forward to comment that very uh, concise and, 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 um, you know, uh, uh, insightful comments um, at co- uh, podcast at comedycellar.com for comments, suggestions, questions. Somebody complained to me on Twitter that the that the um, recently that the that the podcast is falling apart and it's not what it used to be. If you feel that way, fair enough. You're entitled to that opinion. Send us an email. Go. Yeah, she can go. I, I just want to finish. <laughs> Send us an email and tell us what your beef is. And 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 and. Uh, and and let us know if you if you don't if you want us to do this that or the other thing um you can get periel's books um the only bush i trust is my own and on my knees both available wherever books are sold bye everybody thank you bye everybody